to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Why do we refer to this as the parable of the prodigal son? We always do. That's what it's known as. That's the tag, the title of the movie, if you will. And yet when Jesus introduces this parable, he says, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, a story about a man who had two sons. This story is about a man, about a father, really, and about a relationship that these sons have with the father and the father's relationship back with them. We, we tend to focus, for some reason, we focus on the prodigal son who ran away. He cashed in. He took everything, all his inheritance, everything that he was given, and he went and he squandered it. He was living a very irreligious life. His, his heart attitude would be that, you know, I don't have to really obey anyone but myself. You know, whatever I desire, I'm just going to go and do that. I'm going to go live out my own truth. In many ways, he represents many of the voices that we hear in our society today. Very irreligious. I'm going to go live my truth. But there's another son that's in this story. And he's equally important. And he equally has a difficult relationship with his father. Each have a broken relationship with their father. We really track this prodigal as he goes away and then has a realization of his need for, for salvation to be saved from himself, the results of his own actions to be able to come back into his father's house to receive that protection there to be restored in some way back into a relationship with his father. But the older son, the one who's been with his father, he too doesn't have a right relationship with his father. Even though he's been in his father's house serving his father, he's been there time and time again. He is religious. Where one son was irreligious, the elder son is religious. In his mind, it plays out in this story that in his mind and ultimately in his heart, he has believed this whole time that he has been earning his relationship with his father, earning the respect of his father, earning the inheritance that he will fully receive at his father's death. He is just as disconnected from the heart of the father as the irreligious son, the prodigal, who went away. Both are in need of restoration of a right relationship with their father. And as the story continues to play out, they both go on a bit of an inward journey. One son comes home and the father sees him afar off and runs to him and embraces him has the the fatted calf killed for a banquet, for a feast, for a celebration. The celebration is well underway when the elder son who's been out acting out his religion in the field, earning his right standing with his father out in the field, doing what he's always been doing, living it out, earning it, he hears the commotion at the house and when he finds out what has actually happened, he's really cut in heart. 
here he is. He's been so religious all this time, and now this irreligious son of his, of his father, this irreligious brother of his, has come home, and he's killed the fatted calf for him. The fatted calf that was actually his, his father has killed for this son. Oh, he's cut in heart because the way he views other people is that his brother hasn't earned it. His brother hasn't worked for it, hasn't earned it, and therefore doesn't deserve it. And he squandered what he had, and now he should reap the consequences. I've often wondered if it was up to the older brother, what would he do with his lost brother who came home? What would he do with him? Would he send him away? Would he allow the servants to stone him to death? Would he himself kill him at his own hand? Certainly within his heart, he's already killed his brother and passed judgment upon him. But what do we see the father do? The father here is a picture of our heavenly father. The heart of this father as it plays out in this parable, this man that the parable is really about is his heart just plays out. It is a heart filled with grace. Not just for the irreligious son come to his senses and come home repentant, but to the religious son as well. This father has grace for both. He embraces the one who's come home and he goes after the son who walks away. That grace pursuing both, ready to embrace both, ready to transform the relationship with both. But relationships, as we all know, are two-way street. He's inviting both to a feast of salvation, a feast of restoration, a feast of right standing in relationship with one another, a real celebration. Hallelujah. That's what's in that parable. Jesus told a parable about a man with two sons, one irreligious and one religious. And I don't know about you, but on different days, I can relate with both of these two sons. And on those days when I realize whether which circumstance I find myself in, I realize I need to get back and put my feet under the table of fellowship with my heavenly father and allow him in grace to restore me, to set things right again, to make all those little adjustments in my heart, in my mind. So let's take a look at our heart. Let's take a look at the heart that you and I have. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. God searches the heart. God understands your thoughts better than you do. But our heart, we should be in no doubt, has a problem. You and I have a heart problem. And our heart is in need of transformation. At the beginning of this series, we talked about a heart renovation. People have been renovating their hearts during coronavirus, renovating their houses. How's your heart, is what I asked you. It's a really good question. How's your heart today? As we talk about blessed are the pure in heart. So if our starting point is that our hearts are deceitful, 
They not only deceive others, they ultimately deceive us too. How often do we lie to ourselves about how we really are? And when we live out of a lie on the inside, when we live out of it, then we speak to people in a way that God would not have us speak to them. Then we do with our hands things that God would not have us do with our hands. We spend our time and our lives in ways and on things that God would not choose for us, both religious and irreligious. So if our heart can deceive even us, what then do we do? Well, thank God. God sees your heart. He knows your heart better than you do. And if you'll invite him, he can begin to come in and do a heart transformation, renovation within you. And when that begins to happen, and as that process goes on, you begin to see the fruits of it in your life. Matthew 5, or Beatitude today, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's talk about this seeing God. Sometimes that sounds like it's off in the sweet by and by. It's at some future time, maybe after death or after rapture when we've been caught up into the air. But it just seems so far off, this seeing of God. But scripture doesn't say it's far off. Yes, there is a promise to come, but that promise begins to be fulfilled as your heart is transformed. As your heart becomes purified, you begin to see more clearly. So let's take a look at this relationship between the purification of our hearts and what we see and how we see God. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 say, Who shall stand before the Lord? Someday we're going to stand before him face, before, face to face. Who shall stand before the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood or to lying and has not sworn deceitfully, has not deceived anyone. Clean hands and a pure heart. So we're talking a pure heart and seeing God, and we're talking about a pure heart and clean hands. There's a connection between these three things. Let's explore it a, a little bit more. Job 17, 9, Job puts it this way, nevertheless, the righteous will hold to his way. It means you're going to stay steady. You're going to stick at it no matter what happens. And he who has clean hands will grow stronger and stronger. As we pursue righteousness, as we hunger and thirst, as Pastor Larry preached about a few weeks ago, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that begins to drive this internal purification process of our hearts. That hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Scripture tells us so. Jesus told us so a few verses earlier. And now that's beginning to play out in our hearts and begins to purify our hands. What does that mean? I, I, you know, under coronavirus, we're all going and, and everybody's hand sanitizing and washing their hands and, and, and whatnot. But that's an outward cleansing. But there's an inward cleansing of the hands that happens, an inward cleansing of the heart that affects what the hands actually do. Our hands are about our doing. 
the righteous son was trying to cover the darkness within his heart by his hands. He was trying to fake clean hands with all of his doing, trying to cover up the darkness that was in his heart, being deceived by his own heart, being separated from his father by his own heart, missing out on that opportunity for a transformed relationship with his own father who was there present with him. He was staring at him. There's a connection between the purity of your heart and the purity of your hands. You can wash your hands for a thousand years and you'll never clean your heart. You can labor with your hands to please God for a million years and you'll never satisfy his righteousness. No, it's got to be done some other way. So let's, let's take a look. I loved what Simon sang this morning, Renew a Right Spirit in Me. I love that Keith Green song. If you missed it, go to the Close Group on Facebook. Thanks for singing that again, Simon. I really appreciate that. So let's talk about this seeing God. How does that play out? Well, first of all, there is that future promise. We will see him face to face, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what about now? What about right now? How does this work? What do we do? You know, Psalm 51.10, there's a prayer. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is a prayer prayed to God in the process of seeking to see him, to know him, to be in right relationship with him. Prayer is about seeking God and seeking that right relationship with him. The video's dropped out. Are we... Is that all right? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Technical issue. I think we're back. I'm going to keep preaching it like we are back. So that prayer, when we pray to God, we are in relationship, in dialogue with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father, speaking to His heart, seeking from His heart the things that He would give to us. God purifies our heart. It is God who purifies our heart. The prayer is renew a steadfast spirit within me, clean, give me a clean heart, God. Create it within me. Renovate it within me, God. We begin to see God as God begins to renovate and create this within us. This creative process that God does on the inside of us begins to come from within us and go out. Remember, what God is transforming about us is for others that the gospel might go out that we might be his image bearers in the community, that we might be his hands and his feet. You'll hear it often said in our communities and the lives of others. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel. Scripture tells us beautiful feet that carry the gospel. How beautiful are the hands that go and do the gospel in the lives of others. Not doing it to cleanse our own hearts, but out of a cleansed heart, out of this sanctification process, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, working it out so that it's on display, so that it impacts on the lives of others. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
We're, we need to be pursuing this peace with others, but at the same time pursuing sanctification of our hearts. These two things are connected. You can't separate one from the other. As a matter of fact, one can't actually happen without the other. You got to fake it until you make it. That doesn't work. That's not the way the kingdom of heaven is. No, no, the, the pursuit of peace with others and the sanctification process of our hearts happen at the same time they are connected with one another. And if, and if you think you're just going to go and you're just going to have a private relationship with God, you're going to be a private Christian. You're going to be a Christian who's just removed from the world. I'm going to sit here in my safe little bubble. I'm never going to go into a back alley. I'm never going to share the gospel. I've been transformed, but I want to let other people have their truth. Then you're cutting off your hands and your feet from going and doing the gospel. So you've got to do these two things at the same time. Scripture's clear. The sanctification process and the pursuit of peace with others. Romans 14, 19 puts it this way, then, this way. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You know, there's a reason scripture tells us not to forsake the fellowshipping together of the saints. It's been difficult under coronavirus. We've been stuck with Zoom. And I, I've had so many phone conversations with people going, I just don't like Zoom. Can I just lovingly tell you it's not about you, it's about others? Yeah. We are a community. And whatever that is on the inside of you, that, that, that friction that you feel, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I am so zoomed out, I can't stand it. But you know what? I do it because of others. Hallelujah. I love others. And I know you love others too. So come and be in Zoom. Do it for the sake of others. I'm sorry if that was a little bit rough. <laughs> it's not about you. This Christian life is about others. There is no such thing as a private Christian life. <laughs> Christianity is public. You get to the end of the Beatitudes, it says you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Your faith should be so on the outside by the time this transformation process really gets rolling that people begin to persecute you. They just want you to go back into your closet. You go be a private Christian. You're not called to be a private Christian. God doesn't create private Christians. He creates his ecclesia. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Oh, we got to go. Hallelujah. So let's have a look at this seeing. There's a connection between seeing and being. You know, we are human beings, not human doings. That, that religious son that was in the parable of the prodigal, that religious son was trying to justify his being by his doing. It's the wrong way around. Oh, our doing comes from our being. It comes from the transformation of this heart and our seeing. There's a connection between our seeing and our being. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. That's true. 
I know I've been born again on the inside. I, I got that deposit on the day I asked Jesus into my life. Hallelujah. Oh, I got that deposit. I know that I know that I know. Hallelujah. But you know what? There are days where doubt comes. There are days where fear comes and knocks on my door. There are days where temptation comes. So I'm still here. It has not yet appeared what I am to become. It has not yet appeared. It has not shown on the outside, and yet I've got the deposit on the inside. It goes on to say in verse 2 there, we know that when he appears, who? Jesus. When he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Our likeness to him, when he appears, this process of sanctification is going to be done like that. Yes, we're working it out with fear and trembling right now, but there's coming a day. There is a day that hangs on a calendar in our heavenly Father's uh, space. He knows it. It hangs on a calendar within his heart. He knows the day. Even Jesus himself doesn't know the day, but it says that the Father knows the day. Only he knows. It hangs on the calendar in his heart. And on that day, in that moment, this sanctification process that you and I have been working out with fear and trembling in this life will be finished like that. And in that transformation moment, we will see him face to face. Hallelujah. Because we will just be just like him. We will look just like him. Our character, our nature will be complete in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, what a promise that hangs out in front of us. And what a blessed process of sanctification we're involved in today. Oh, hallelujah. Even as I say that, I'm groaning on the inside. I'm groaning on the inside. <laughs> Can't wait for that day. <laughs> no, it's not yet appeared. But the deposit is here. The opportunity and the invitation to anybody who will accept the free gift of salvation that's been provided by God through Christ Jesus, through that act of atonement, that, that great trading places that took, pl took place on Calvary when he bled and died to cover your sins and my sins. It was my sins and your sins that hung him to that cross. He willingly went there. He endured the cross, Scripture says. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What joy? Seeing you and me today working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Even in that future moment when the joy that is set before him is fully manifest and fulfilled and we are sanctified, righteous, perfect, standing before him in his very image. Not just reflecting back, but being back at him. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 and a bit of 23. I'm going to read this in the New American Standard Version Bible. Jake, you don't need to worry about putting these on the screen. Don't be... The, the, we have an anxious longing. Creation has an anxious longing that awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Hallelujah. The revealing of us. 
And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, this deposit, this first fruits of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us, hallelujah, even we ourselves groan within, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, hallelujah. Oh, we long for that moment of embrace with God, with our heavenly Father face to face in that moment, hallelujah. The completion of the fulfillment of the promise of the fullness of the relationship, that deepest, deepest, ultimate, eternal satisfaction manifest reality. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, there's a grand reveal coming. There is a grand reveal coming. Let's talk about when he appears, the seeing of God. I hope you're seeing the seeing of God, what it looks like, what it plays out like. The fulfillment is when he appears. The working out of it today is at the very tips of our fingertips. You know, when you go out of a uh, God's heart and his love and you see with his eyes the brokenness in the lives of others and you go and love them in practical ways. You contribute to the message of the gospel coming to them. You love them in not only the practical but in an eternal way, carrying the message of the gospel, the good news. Spurgeon, famous preacher of the last century, said, share the gospel on all occasions and use words if you have to. Our actions are so much more powerful sometimes than our words. Words are important, but our actions are far more important. When we begin to do that love and express the love of God, that agape love, that, that supernatural love, that transforming love, that, that, that power from the throne room of heaven, when we begin to do that with our hands in the lives of others, we see God at the tips of our fingers. Like turning on a tap to get water, you can choose by an act of your will to go and carry the gospel, to go and do the gospel. You can choose to go and do that and see God at your very fingertips. And then with the people who sit in front of you, made in the image of God, the imago Dei, there they sit, lost and broken, made in the image of God. Scripture says they're made in God's image. He made all of us in his image. And we are of infinite value to him. We're just lost. Oh, when we see them sitting in front of us and we look at them with God's eyes, as we look at them, we begin to see God. Oh, we see God long before we see him face to face. But it's done as a result of this transformation process. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And you begin seeing God from the moment that transformation process begins because it should take you somewhere into a public life of Christianity, into a public expression of your faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation, actually, Scripture tells us, has to happen as a result of a confession of faith before others. Oh, hallelujah. It's meant to go out to the ends of the earth. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. 
and goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You and I are to become partakers. It means it's there, and you go and lay hold of it, and it becomes part of you. You use your will and your faith to lay hold of it, and it becomes part of you. You begin to lay hold of what this divine nature. There is only one divine nature, and that is the nature and character of God as expressed from the heart of the Father. Hallelujah. I take you back to the parable of the man with two sons. The heart of this Father. A heart filled with grace. A heart filled with mercy. A heart that runs. A heart that pursues. A heart that waits patiently, a heart that grieves. A heart that is ever ready. Ever ready. Forget about that Duracell bunny. The heart of the Father fuels all things. All things, including the radical transformation of our hearts. We become partakers of his heart. That brings the purification of our heart. That then finds its expression at our fingertips. That then adjusts our eyesight to see with his eyes. Oh, we see him long before we see him face to face. Hallelujah. How blessed is that? How blessed is that to become a partaker of that divine nature? And as you see in 2 Peter 1, 4 there, it is a promise. God is not a man that he should lie, is what scripture tells us. There's no shadow of turning him. He can't change his mind. He would not change his mind. And he would not break his promise. He is faithful and just. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When he said in Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, he means it. He means it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He means it. It is a promise, and it's all through Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says that we're predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, whose son? God's son. Let's talk about God's son in the parable of the prodigal, the parable of this man with two sons, the older son, the firstborn, is broken and has a broken relationship with his father. Our heavenly father has a son, a firstborn, and these two are in total agreement. They indeed are one in all things. And what happened on Calvary was a covenant, an agreement between a father and a son for the benefit of others. That celebration, even that sacrifice, that giving up, that giving over, Scripture tells us that Jesus gave up everything, heaven, all of it, and he came and lived as a man and lived without sinning. Hallelujah. And then he chose to go to the cross to pay your sin debt. And because he knew no sin, he was raised back to life again. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father on the mercy seat 
blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Why do we even have mercy that can be shown to us? Because God desires mercy, hallelujah. Above all things, he desires our righteousness and he desires mercy above all things. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As we begin to wrap up here, let's wrap up about seeing him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This glorious progression of sanctification, this glorious progression of righteousness, growing, growing, growing. God in his long suffering and in his patience, taking us by the hand and leading us into it, renovating our hearts bit by bit, removing stone after stone and purifying within us a clean heart, a pure heart, all for his purpose, all for the blessing of others, that the kingdom of heaven would be manifest not only within us, but through us, that we would carry the fragrance of heaven everywhere that we go. Hallelujah. 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 I love the Psalms. Been reading the Psalms. Psalm 42. I love this. It's a prayer as much as anything else. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You hear that longing there. You hear that thirst there, the, the thirst of the heart of a king, the, the thirst of the heart of a psalmist, a songwriter, a singer, a praiser of God. Hallelujah. Psalm 17, 15. You hear the celebration in this verse, the very celebration of, 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 of the promise that awaits, hallelujah. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake, hallelujah. When I awake either from rapture or from rupture, either at his glorious returning or after I have physically died. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. What we see expressed at the cross is the greatest expression of the heart of the Father that we will ever know. It is the most powerful and transformative thing in the history of all of mankind throughout all of eternity, ages to come. We will sing his praises forevermore and we will never be tired of doing it. Such is the extent of his glory and his goodness. Such will be the extent of our righteousness. Hallelujah. We're little creators in this world, created in his image. Hallelujah. To create songs to his praise, to create artworks to his praise, to raise families to his praise, to, to go and do things that no one else knows about for the benefit of others, all for his praise and for his glory. Let's get this right in our generation. I understand the times are dark, but that just means the light shines all the brighter. Amen. We are surrounded by opportunities. And perhaps now more than ever, 
through the purification of our hearts, we can begin to see those opportunities before us. Hallelujah. Our government makes us wear masks. Feels like a muzzle at times. I will not be muzzled. Amen. Yes. I will declare his works in his goodness. I'll do it with my actions and with my words. Hallelujah. I pray that you'll join me and we'll be joining together with a, with a cloud, a cloud of praisers of God throughout all history, ages past, ages to come. When people say the church is shrinking, wrong. There have never been more Bible-believing, born-again, spirit-filled believers alive on planet Earth at the same time. Our numbers are increasing. Over 2,000 years, governments have come and gone. Kingdoms have risen and they have fallen. And people who make a loud noise have blown away like dust on the wind. But the praises of God have echoed out through all the generations. Yeah, oh, let us add our lives to this chorus. Let us add not only our voice, but our actions. Hallelujah. Let us do this. Oh, let's do this. We pray for revival. Let's just go and do revival. Let's just go be revival. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Hallelujah. Well, as we prepare to take communion today, I hope there's been a shift in the way that you view your own heart. Go and have a look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. See the progressive nature of them progressing from one thing to another. Note that the fifth Beatitude, the number of grace, the fifth Beatitude is all about mercy. And the very next beatitude is about blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We can see God today. We can see him today at our fingertips in the face of one another, in the face of the lost, all with the hope and the promise of that future day where we stand before him and we see him face to face with nothing in the way, no veil, Nothing blocking our vision, pure vision, God's vision, seeing God, beholding him face to face. Hallelujah. What a day. What a blessed hope. Hallelujah.